make it about them, but to help us position ourselves to you. Father, that we would present ourselves as a sacrifice to you this morning. Father, that last night as we got to see people baptized is an incredible feat, Lord. What they've come through, what they've battled through. But Father, that they're willing to lay themselves down as a sacrifice to be raised into life with you. But Lord, more importantly, that we would have the hearts of the little kids that sat here and watched. Father, as C-Dub spoke to his little girl, that she would do this for thousands of people and she just said yes. Father, that we are a yes generation, that we are a yes people. That it's whatever you want, Lord, that we come and you've already created us for what you've called us to be. You've already allowed the shift to take place. You've already allowed the things to be crushed the new wine, but Father, in order for there to be a new wine, it has to be a new wine skin. You can't put new wine into something old because it will break. Father, as we were praying in the back, and there's a river, but Father, it's a river from heaven. Father, that is pouring out in abundance. Father, that the old can't contain what you're about to do. The old can't hold what you're about to do. Our old selves can't handle what you're about to do. The person we were 15 minutes ago, the person we were 15 years ago, can't stand the grace and mercy that you've brought forth. They can't stand the miracles that are going to take place. They can't stand the signs and the wonders and the things that are going to happen because we position our hearts to see your face this morning. heaven. Father, that it is in between the aisles. It's in and out of every single person that's in here this morning, Lord. Father, that we're just in a place this morning to see you, that we've already seen you, and Lord, that it's not so much what I have to say, but it's the place of our hearts. It's the position of our hearts. It's the position of our minds to just see your face and not worry about what anybody else thinks get to move forward this morning, that we're not stuck looking in the rearview mirror about everything that we've done, everything that we could have done better, but today is the day for new wine. Today is the day that you've created new wineskins with every single one of us in here to hold more of what you want to do, to release more of what you want to do into our, our families, into our homes, into our communities, into our states, into our nations, Father, because it is fresh. harvest this morning, Lord, of freedom, Lord, that people are set free in freedom, Lord, freedom from addiction, freedom from disease, freedom from sickness, diagnosis, freedom from generational curses and generational things, freedom from divorce, Father, things that have plagued their families, things that have plagued the lines of their families for decades, Father, that that's broke off today 
because there is a freedom, Father, because there is a positioning of our hearts to you this morning. And we just thank you for what you're going to do today. And we just give you the glory and honor for it this morning, Lord, before it even takes place, because it's already happening. And we just thank you that, that worship to you is so pure. Father, as you declared it on the cross, as you were praying in the garden before you went to the cross, that it's not our will, but it's yours. As John declared that we would decrease so that you would increase. And Father, we just thank you for this morning, that you are increasing this morning. And we're willing to humble ourselves and decrease ourselves for you. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys would go ahead and turn around and tell somebody hello. And give our amazing worship team a hand clap at the same time. Thank you, sir. That's perfect. Uh, please. Thank you. How is everybody this morning? It is a good day. Yeah, one of you is happy to be here. I promise by the end, you're all going to be happy to be here. Um, that's the cool part about just trusting Jesus. Uh, because if I was standing up here, it wouldn't be worth anybody being here. Um, so with, with the presence of God this morning, it's most definitely worth being here. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Josh Schmidt. My incredible wife, Nicole, and I get the opportunity to head up our junior high and high school ministries here at church. We've been a part of uh, the leadership team for eight or 10 years. Um, and it's just a, a huge blessing to do that and to pour into the next generation and to, to change, you know, hope you guys raise up world changers. Um, but then to get the opportunity and the honor to, to stand before you guys this morning, it's a huge honor that um, my spiritual parents, Pastor Darren and Lynette, give us the opportunity, the parents of our house, uh, to stand up here. So I just want to, I want to thank them for that privilege. Um, I do want to welcome our Facebook community, anybody else that may be watching online or listening online. You guys are like family and I hope at some time we get to meet you in person. Um, today we have, we have a, a place to go and I want to make sure we get there. Man, worship the last, like, I don't know how long has been incredible, but it's, it's like at a different level, um, and I feel that as we start to position ourselves, uh, the worship team can only do so much, and they put in practice, and they are here all the time and giving their best, um, but really it's not their job for us to enter into a place of worship. Uh, that's our responsibility, so I feel like this only gets better as more people continue to position their hearts and their minds um, just to see the face of Jesus when they're worshiping. And so... Um, how many of you know that in, in our current state, uh, in your personal lives as a nation, um, in your family, we're all in some sort of battle right now, right? Or we've all been in a battle recently, um, or you'll probably be in one in, in a pretty short amount of time if you're not. And I don't say that to be a Debbie Downer, but it's just the truth um, to what it is. My gosh, those guys are a lot stronger than I am. Um, but it's... We're all in a battle, but how many of us know that it's important that we bring the right tools to win a battle? We bring the right, the right weapons to win a battle, to, to have victory in a battle. 
And so today we're going to talk about the weapon of your praise. Because I feel like our praise is a weapon that a lot of times we forget to talk about. It's something that we forget to bring to the fight. It's something that we forget to bring to the diagnosis. It's something that we forget to bring to the sickness. And it's our praise. And so in Psalms 8, out of the the Passion Translation, verse 1 and 2, it says, Lord, your name is so great and powerful. People everywhere see your splendor. Your glorious majesty streams, streams from the heavens, filling the earth with the fame of your name. You have built a stronghold by the songs of babies. Strength rises up with the chorus of singing children. This kind of praise has the power to shut Satan's mouth. Childlike worship will silence the madness of those who oppose you. So I feel that it's, it's interesting that Miss Kirsty had all of us sing without the instruments this morning. Because we're all children of God and we all get to rise up as a chorus singing to him. It wasn't singing to your neighbor. It wasn't singing to the worship team. It was singing to him. But I also find that it's interesting that it doesn't tell us just to have childlike faith, but we're to have childlike worship. If you've ever seen a group of kids worship, they do not care what's around them. And if you're standing too close, that's your fault for being in their space when they're worshiping. And if you ever go to the back and you worship, you better be in shape because they jump and they dance for 15 minutes straight. It's unbelievable. That's why I'm out here. Because I am a shape. I'm not in shape. <laughs> and so we're, we're more like an oval. We're working on that. But to be childlike worship, we had a worship night on Friday. And to see these little kids out here and they had their praise rings and they're dancing and they're shouting and they're roaring like lions and they don't care. So I feel like if we're to have childlike faith and it tells us that childlike worship will silence the madness of those who oppose you. We're all under attack right now. There's a lot of people opposing the church right now. There's a lot of people opposing people that are willing to stand for something. So we have childlike faith where we have to trust in Jesus that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. But then we need to also worship like our little kids worship. That's one of my favorite things to see them worship. In Psalms 18, verse 34, it says, You've trained me with the weapons of warfare, worship. Now I'll descend into the battle with the power to chase and conquer my foes. Our ability to chase our enemy away is in our worship. The ability to chase away the foes, the people that attack you, the people that oppose you, the people that come against you, is our worship. So when we stand here and we don't worship and we expect a worship team to do it for us, We expect somebody on the radio to do it for us. We expect somebody else to get us to that place. We can't be upset when the enemy is raging hell and attacking us like crazy. Because that's our responsibility. It doesn't say that it's your pastor's job to worship. They have the the warfare of worship to fight your battles. It doesn't say it's the worship leader's warfare to fight your battles. That when they worship, they'll fight your battles. They are, and I know their hearts. And they want to stand and battle with you, but they're creating an environment for you to position your heart with Jesus so that you have the same weapon that they have. God's given us the weapon of worship. We need to start bringing that to the battle because it specifically tells us that it's in the singing of his children. It has the power to shut Satan's mouth. Satan's got a whole bunch of lies going on. 
And the thing with worship is it confuses the, the, um, the crap. I, I don't know. There's no other word that was coming. It confuses the enemy because it's truth. The enemy comes to lie. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The enemy doesn't know the truth. So when we're in worship, it's pure truth. If it's out of a pure heart, it's pure truth to the throne room of God. It causes confusion within the enemy. And when there's confusion, the enemy doesn't know what to say because he doesn't know what's next. He doesn't know where you're going. He doesn't know where you're moving. So if we're to worship, if we're to shut the mouths of the enemy, why are we not bringing this weapon to our battles more often? I feel like we show up to these battles and we've got the armor of God and we've got the word of God as our sword and we've got the shield. We've got the breastplate of righteousness, but we leave worship at home and wonder why we're still not silencing the enemy. So who here, I hope I'm not alone in this, but who here wants to silence the enemy? I think all of us want to do that. So if that's the case, then I think we need to bring the weapon that has the ability to silence the enemy. We need to understand what that weapon is because I feel like a lot of us, I grew up thinking worship was something we just did at church on Sundays. I don't know what worship is outside of that. You play three songs, you have 10 and a half minutes, and you get to do what it is, and then you don't think about it the rest of the week. And now we've got all these Christian radio stations that think worship's 24-7. Christian music's great, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's worship music. Sometimes the message is good and it may be better than the worldly music or the secular music, but it doesn't necessarily make it worship. So if we want to silence the enemy, we have to be intentional to bring the weapon of worship to silence him. But if you're anything like me, like I grew up and I was always wondering, okay, I've seen people jump up and down. I've seen people lay on the floor. I've seen people stand there with their hands in their pockets and leaning so much on the chair in front of them that if you moved it, they would fall. Because I've been all of those. I didn't understand. And so I thought that maybe a lot of us don't understand praise and worship. But then we question it because we don't understand it. Does it really work? We see here that it says it will silence the enemy. Have we put it to the test? Do we know if it really works? I've questioned it in the past. Well, God, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? Why is life like this? Why are things so hard? But then when I take a step back and I look back, I've been non-existent in intentional worship. I think it's important for us to see not just what I've experienced in worship, but stories from Scripture that will tell us the importance of worship, that will tell us that victory comes from worship, that the enemy can be silenced and defeated because of worship. And in Second Chronicles, I'm not, I'm not going to go through reading all of the stories because of time, but we he- read about King Jehoshaphat. What's funny is this is just how my mind works because I work with junior high and high school kids. His name is spelled J-E-H-O-S-H-A-P-H-A-T. He's fat like cool, not fat like round. So he's a, he's a cool king. And that's just where my mind goes. But he's a cool king. But in his time, in the story here in Chronicles, they're talking about how he has to defeat a bunch of armies that are coming against him. He's got one army and there's, 
there's a whole bunch that are going to come against him. And he's like, there's no way. There's more people. They're bigger in size. They're bigger in weapons. They're bigger in all these things. So that how are we going to defeat an enemy that that's, that's that great? And so you guys can go back and read it in Second Chronicles. But in Second Chronicles 20, 21, it says, After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. So they sent worshipers before themselves in the battle. They sent worshipers out unarmed, but we're just learning that it's the weapon of warfare. They weren't unarmed. They knew exactly what they were walking into. So they sent worshipers out and it causes so much confusion within the enemy that they start attacking themselves. They start killing themselves. And the next thing you know, King Jehoshaphat's army is completely victorious and his guys never had to raise a sword. They never had to physically fight that battle because the worship went before them. So if it works then, God's word is true all the time. It was true then, it's true now, it's true tomorrow. So if we can send worshipers before us in battle to win an army because it causes so much confusion within the enemy... It, it tells us that it causes and confuses and silences the enemy. Why are we not using this weapon more for ourselves? Why are we not sending worship first? Why is worship our last response when all, all else has failed, so now I guess I'll try worship? Why are we not leading with worship? Why are we not going before in worship? So then we, a lot of us have heard the story of Joshua and Caleb. And Moses was in the, in the desert for 40 years. And Joshua and Caleb went into the promised land and as spies, and they were able to see what they were up against. They were able to see that there was an army. They, they aren't going to lie and say there wasn't. They were able to see that the walls of Jericho were wide enough that they could run chariots around them. They were able to see all of these things with their eyes, but how they reported is what is different. All the other spies came back and they were complaining and they were whining and moaning. And, well, there's no way that we're going to beat these guys. There's no way we can get through these walls. There's no way that we can do any of this because we're too small. We're too old. We've been in the desert for however many years at this point. There's no way that we're going to win. The two that got to go into the promised land were Joshua and Caleb. They got to go because they came back with reports of praise. Yes, there's an army, but we have the army of God. We can, we can defeat that army. We can knock those walls down. So their attitude of praise, their position of praise, their heart of praise to see the situation for what it was allowed them to be the only two that entered the promised land. It took 40 years to weed out and kill everybody else that was complaining and whining and moaning and didn't want to worship. It took 40 years for that entire generation to die off because all they wanted to do was come back with reports that were negative and reports of how bad something was instead of presenting reports of praise. So Joshua and Caleb go. The walls of Jericho are thick enough to ride chariots on them. This plan still blows my mind, and this is how cool God is, because he told them to march around the walls. I've told my hiking stories. 
this, this would be a tough one for me. Walk around for seven days in a row? Come on. And then all we get to do is shout? I'm shouting because I haven't been able to talk for the last six days. They had to do it in silence. But we're, we're going to walk. I'm guessing it's a city. Like I like walking around Greeley seven days in a row. I'll drive and I'll wait for you at the finish line. It's bad now because my oldest boy is like, Dad, when are you going hiking with us? And I'm like, boy, your mom's talking to you too much. But they walk around the walls. And on the seventh day, they blow the trumpet and they shout. And the walls of Jericho come crashing down. Why are we not walking around the walls of our diagnosis? Why are we not walking around the walls of our house, of our family? And on the seventh day, we blow a trumpet and raise a shout. Because I, I don't, it doesn't say, but I don't think that Joshua and Caleb and the people of Israel shouted in complaining. I don't think that they were just griping and moaning about how bad things were. I think on the seventh day when they shouted, it was a shout of praise. And the shout of praise brought the walls down. So if there's walls in your marriage, if there's walls in your family, if there's walls in your community, maybe we need to start walking. And we need to be ready to shout when the Lord tells us to shout. Maybe we're missing the entire weapon of praise. In Acts 16... The story leads up. Paul and Silas are out doing the works of Jesus. Jesus has asked them to go and do these things. They're praying for people. People are getting healed. They're doing exactly what Jesus has asked them to do, and they get thrown in jail. I have not been in jail. I know people that have. (laughs) I don't think I'm cut out for jail. Um, Maybe at some point we'll find out, but I hope not. But they're thrown into jail. And it's not like they're thrown into jail and they get to have a view of the mountains and they get this pretty window and they get this luxury dinner and this amazing bed to sleep in. They're throwing in the middlemost cell. It's like a dungeon. So they're thrown underground in the darkest place, no windows, no outside influence. They're chained up to the floor, like they cannot even move within the distance of their chain. They're shackled to the floor because of what Jesus told them to do. But we see in verse 25 through 26, it's interesting because it says around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake The prison was shaken to its foundations and the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. When we begin to praise, other people will start to listen. When we begin to worship, it will not only affect you, it will affect those surrounding you. Anybody that's in earshot of your worship will receive the same blessing, the same provision, the same promise because you've brought a weapon that they may not know about. Those other people in jail didn't know the weapon of praise. Paul and Silas start to worship. They start to sing out to the Lord and the chains break off. The doors fly open. I think it's time that we start setting other captives free because we understand the weapon of worship. We understand the weapon of our praise. So if there's somebody in bondage in your family, maybe we should start praising and let that ripple effect set them free. 
If you're in prison at your job, maybe you should start praising and set those people free. If you're in bondage to an addiction, to a diagnosis, if you're at the doctor's office, start praising and let these people hear things. Amen. We just had to take Benaiah, our youngest boy, to get an MRI on Thursday. Everything's good. God is amazing. Amen. But we take him to get this test done, and the whole time we get to just share how worthy Jesus is because they've never heard his name. Yeah, we named him on purpose. We named him with the intent. So now when people ask, yeah, this was one of David's mighty men. This was a guy that stood for what's right. We got to share our faith through the entire process. And now when the praise report comes back, our praise has maybe set those captives free. It may be something that's answered questions to them that they didn't know about. It's time that we start using our praise so other people in earshot can be set free. We don't have a right to hold people bondage. And I feel like at times we're doing that because we're not acting. We're not physically choosing to hold them in bondage. That might be their choice, but we're physically choosing to hold them in bondage because we're not presenting the weapon that can set them free. Praise is prophetic, not circumstantial. You praise God because of who he is and because of what he's about to do. Yes, we praise God when something great happens. But a lot of times, that's the only time we praise God. If we would look at our praise and our worship as an act, a prophetic act, because of who he is and how good he is, knowing that he is God, it changes things. If your family's in a tough spot right now, start praising right now because of the freedom that's coming. If your marriage is about to be destroyed, start praising and worshiping right now because of the restoration that's going to happen. If, you're, if you've had a diagnosis, if you're sick, start praising right now because you know that God heals. You know that God sent his son, Jesus, to die and bear those straps on his back so that you could walk in freedom and healing. Start praising now as a prophetic declaration of what he's going to do, but also because of how good he always is. So I asked myself as I was putting this together, how do we get the powerful weapon of pure worship? Because if our worship is just the smoke show and the lights, if our, if our worship is just to appease the person that's standing next to us, we're missing it, and it's not going to be a sweet aroma to God. It's got to be pure for it to mean something to him. It needs to be pure and not fake. It's not the smoke and lights. There's a reason we don't put on a concert here. There's a reason we don't have a bunch of flashy strobe lights. There's a reason we don't have a bunch of fog, to, fog machines and smoke things. One fire department come, but it's not about that. It's about our hearts being positioned to worship him and only him. Amen. So I think we see this. I think we see the process to getting the weapon of pure worship in Luke. And there was a couple stories I, I got to pick from, and I was, it was cool because I actually called and talked to C-Dub a little bit about it. And this one made the most sense. But in Luke 7, 36 through 39, in, in verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. And she wiped them off with her hair. And she kept kissing his feet and putting her, 
putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. So I find it interesting here that the religious leader that invited Jesus to come is the one that's questioning her worship. There's too many of us in the church that are questioning our neighbor's worship. There's too many of us in the church body across the world that are questioning someone else's worship, someone else's sacrifice, questioning somebody else's ability. She gave everything she had. There's, there's translations and studies that say that jar of perfume was a year's salary. That she was willing to sacrifice a year's salary to pour it out on his feet. That she was willing to, she didn't feel worthy to stand in front of him. Some of y'all this morning don't feel worthy to stand in front of him, but she stood behind him and let her tears begin to wash his feet. And I know this because I'm married, but ladies, your hair is very important to you. (laughs) And I, I don't say that disrespectfully, but she used something that was that important to dry his feet. She used something that was that important, her dignity, her honor, her glory, to wipe the dirt off of his feet. I think a lot of times we judge people's worship because we don't know why they worship that way. We can't, we can't judge their worship until we know their story. If somebody's up here laying on their face, just bawling, there should be no judgment in this house until you know what they've just walked through or what they're trusting God in their praise prophetically to come forth. You don't know if they've lost somebody. You don't know if they're standing on the word of God that their family members healed, that they come to Jesus. Until we know their story, we can't judge their praise. And then once you know their story, you're not going to be judging it anyway. So in this story, I think there's three things to pure worship. The first one is pure worship is costly. It costs that lady a lot. Not only monetarily, it cost her at least a year's wages. I'm guessing it probably took her more than one year to buy that bottle of perfume because she had other expenses. So it was costly from a monetary perspective. But it was also costly because she should have been stoned to death for going in there. She was not welcome. She was not allowed to be in that place. She was not invited to be at that table. Worship is free as there is no monetary cost for us. It does not cost us anything to worship. It's not like the worship team charges you $5 to get in here to listen to them play. However, there is a price. That price may be your pride. It might be your ego. It might be your selfish ambitions or desires. But since it's not supposed to be about us, And it's all supposed to be about him. That price is worth it. Pure worship is costly. The second one is pure worship is eternal. This lady had no idea in the moment that what she was going to do was going to set the precedence of worship forward. It's eternal. This is an eternal conversation. This, This story will be shared and will be talked about until Jesus comes back. Pure worship is eternal. 
It doesn't matter what it looks like here. It doesn't matter who it's, it's not for anybody here. It doesn't matter what your spouse thinks. It doesn't matter what the person you're dating thinks, what your parents think. Pure worship is eternal. Pure worship is solely to our Heavenly Father. And the third thing we see out of this story is that pure worship is driven by love. She didn't do this because she had to. She didn't do this because somebody told her that this is what you do, this is how you get into heaven. She simply moved because she loved Jesus enough that she was willing to lay down knowing that she could be killed, knowing that she wasn't supposed to be there. There's some, there's some studies that say this is the lady that was caught in adultery. There's others, um, different things. So she was, she was in a bad place. She knew the cost. She also understood the price. And I feel like there's a lot of things that we allow that to determine what we're going to do. We allow that to determine how we're going to move, how we're going to act. I can't give this homeless person money because I don't know what they're going to do with it. I can't pray for this person in Walmart because I don't know what they're going to say. We're so worried about what people think of us that we forget to give it to him, where if we would just move out of love, all of that stuff is removed. If we would just love people, pure worship is driven by pure love. Pure worship is is a powerful weapon. We see this in scripture. We see this in these stories that I've talked about. I've experienced pure worship in my living room at 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning. There's been times where I've just been on my face and I've encountered Jesus more in that moment because it was pure. It was intentional. There was no distractions. It didn't matter what was going on, but if it's not pure, it's powerless. I'm, I'm over a powerless church. I'm over a powerless people. God has given us power and authority to walk in his love, to, to go out and make disciples, to heal people. We're walking around with sickness. We're walking around with disease. We're walking around with our next generations facing suicidal thoughts running rampant. Stuff taking place in our schools. People are finally starting to stand up and question what's taking place in our schools. But what happens if we move from being powerless and we start to remember and be reminded of the power that we've been given to walk in his authority? We can start to declare life over these schools, over these communities. We can begin to make a change if we begin to walk in power. Walking in power is pure worship. It's time that we move from being powerless and the smoke and the lights and we worship because that's what we do at church. It is what we do at church, but you should be doing it at home with your family. You should be moving on that at home with your family. If I'd have the worship team go ahead and start to come back up. So a few years ago, Nicole and I, when we first started with our junior high and high school ministry, we were struggling and trying to get the kids to engage in worship. And so I was just trying to figure out what we can do because at that age, 
It's important what other people think. It's important and they, they are concerned about the thoughts of other people. And so I started thinking about it. And one weekend, I told Nicole, I said, I'm just going to go buy a bunch of blindfolds. And she looks at me and I'm like, just, just trust me. I present a lot of crazy ideas. So my wife has to, has to trust Jesus a lot because I do have crazy ideas. So I get to, we get the, the blindfolds. And Brad, if you'll throw that first picture up. Oh, it's kind of dark, but I have all of our kids blindfolded. And I told them, I said, I want you to worship how Jesus wants you to worship. I said, one, you can't see what anybody else is doing, so it's nothing to compare. And two, nobody else can see what you're doing because they're blindfolded. And so we presented them an opportunity to just do as God wanted them to do. Brad, if you'll go to the second picture. This picture, I told him, I said, when you're ready, take your blindfold off. When you feel that you can just look for the face of Jesus and not worry about what your neighbor's doing or what your neighbor's going to think, I want you to take your blindfold off. And these are your kids on their faces, on their knees, with their hands lifted in abandonment because they were worshiping how Jesus asked them to worship. And this is powerful because if we begin to lead as parents, we begin to lead as adults in a freedom of worship and our kids begin to worship like this all the time, suicide's gone. Depression's gone. Anxiety's gone. Because the enemy is so stinking confused at those schools, he doesn't know what to do because our kids are willing to be on their face and worship. And worship for me, the last few years has been such a journey. And it's become something that's so important to me that I'm tired of personally walking around powerless. The last few years I've dove into worship, I've read books, I've studied worship out several times. But I want to walk in the power that God has given us through worship. He's given us the weapon of our praise. And I think a lot of times we forget about it. So I've asked the worship team to come back up. Before I do, I want... Sometimes moving requires boldness. Sometimes it requires courage. And sometimes it requires being the first person to go to allow those other people's chains to begin to break so that they can come. So I want to invite anybody that's willing, that needs to, that wants to, to come up here and worship. And sometimes that's uncomfortable because there's people watching. Well, what are they going to think? It don't matter. It's not about them. And quite frankly, it's not about you. It's about him and seeing his face. And so I'm going to ask you guys, if that's you, I want you to start coming forward because they're going to play here in a minute. But I want to invite the people specifically. I mean, you all can come if you want, but the people that are trying to silence the enemy anywhere in their lives, the people that are trying to break down the Jericho walls, the people that are trying to break the chains of your prison, and the people that just want to experience a freedom and worship like they've never experienced. I, want you, I invite you guys to come.
come now. If they start playing and you want to come, come. I want you to worship how Jesus wants you to worship. Thank you, Father. If there's more as I'm talking, just keep coming because it's not about me. It's not about what I'm saying. It's about you positioning your heart, standing in a place to position your heart to worship the one true king. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks in here. Their opinion doesn't matter. I would invite the rest of you to go ahead and stand up for me. And again, if you need to move, move. If it's a freedom of worship, if you've got diagnosis, sickness, I believe that God can move and create miracles in a place of worship. It doesn't have to be somebody praying. It doesn't have to be somebody prophetically speaking over you, declaring life over you. I want this place, a place of worship. We've seen cancer turned into babies. They've sang about it. We've seen cancer heal in worship. God will set you free in worship. It's about positioning your heart before your father. God, I'm here. I surrender everything that I can carry to you. Everything that I have is yours. And I want you to do whatever you want to do. But even if you don't do anything, I want to sacrifice myself and give everything to you. That's what it's about. It's not about the person next to you. So I want you all to close your eyes for me. I didn't buy blindfolds this morning, but I want you to pretend that you have a blindfold on. I want you to press in to see the face of Jesus this morning. And I want you to keep that blindfold on. Can we dim the lights a little bit, please? I want you to keep that blindfold on until you're ready. When you're ready and you don't worry about what the person next to you is going to think, and you don't care what they think about your worship, and you're not going to be distracted by somebody else's extravagant worship, I want you to open your eyes. I want you to realize that it's okay to take the blindfold off because God sees you. But I want you to do that when you're ready. But I want you all, and this is this can be uncomfortable for a little bit, but Miss Kirsty did this a couple weeks ago at Rooted, and it really stuck with me, and we got to do it with our kids last week at our youth night. And we had worship out with a fire, and then we had the most real night we've ever had. There wasn't a single kid out there that didn't share a testimony, an earth-shattering testimony with tears in their eyes, boys and girls. That's what your junior high and high school kids are up to. So when we raise our hands, so as your eyes are closed and we're not looking around and it's not uncomfortable, I would invite all of you to stick your hands out like you're holding a gift. gift and I want you to begin to imagine that's for your favorite person. It could be your spouse. It could be your parents. And you're going to give this gift to that person. I want you to begin to imagine what it looks like. How it's wrapped. The bow that's on it. What the card says. Just begin to imagine this image. Everybody begin to just stick your hands out. Even if it's super uncomfortable. Nobody's looking. Nobody's watching you. It's okay. Hold that gift. If it's the the most precious gift you've ever given, I want you to think about what would be inside. I 
want you to think about what it would contain. And I can already see some of your facial expressions changing because you're thinking about giving a gift. We find joy and excitement in giving a gift. So as we're getting ready to present a gift, I'm going to challenge you and invite you to think of yourself as that gift because how you see that gift that you would give to somebody is exactly how God sees you this morning. God sees you as most precious. God sees you as son and daughter. God sees you right where you're at. So I want you to see yourself as that gift. And now I want you to extend your hands like you're giving that gift to Jesus. Yes, Lord, thank you for the weight lifted off. Go ahead, Kirsten. Thank you. 
ask them to go back into that for just a minute. This has been weighing on my heart real heavy since last night. And this is a call to the men in this church. Whether you have kids in here, whether your kids are grown, this is a call to the men in this church to start worshiping, seeking his face. This is a call for us to be real vulnerable as men and be real bold and real courageous. Whether you have kids or don't have kids, there's kids that need you to start praising like Paul and Silas praised so that their chains can be broken. We've got kids that are being attacked by the enemy with suicide, depression, anxiety, because we're sitting here with our hands in our pockets and we're not doing anything as men to lead our houses, to lead our communities. This is an invitation, men. Come on. Because I know what it's done for me. I've seen what it's done for my brother, C.W. Some of the hardest times in his life. I've seen what it's done as a man to pour out your heart and worship. Man, our kids need this. Our communities need this. Our schools need this. Your family needs this. And this has been on my heart super heavy last night because I was that guy. I stood with my hands in my pockets and stood leaning so much on the chair in front of me that you couldn't pull it out. Guys, I don't want you to miss the invitation. I'm not going to make you do anything. I just know what it's done for me. I know what it's done for my family. And as a prophetic declaration, I believe I know what it can do for our community. I believe I know what it can do for our state and our nation. When we begin to rise up as men, I think about David. We all know David. He killed Goliath. He was a mighty, mighty warrior.
territory, but Lord, that there's there's moms that may not have that in their family. But Father, that we lift them up. But Father, that's our job as the church. That's our job as men to begin to bridge that gap and fill that void for them. Father, that we can praise, we can bring our weapon of praise to break their chains. And Father, it's not about us. It's not about situations going on. It's not about the distractions of the world, the noise of the world. But Lord, as we just sang, that we come back to the heart of worship. That we come back to the heart of our Father. Lord, I thank you so much for this revelation and this insight that you've already given us the weapon that will silence the mouth of our enemies. Father, that we can begin to fight differently that worship can go first that pure worship may cost us something but we know that when it costs us something it's eternal Father that it would flow from a place of love Father I just ask you this morning anybody in here that doesn't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know that your Father is your Heavenly Father, I would ask that you would shoot your hand up real quick because it's going to be hard to understand and it's going to be hard to press into worship and be intentional about worship if you've not given it over to Jesus to control your life. If that's you, I'll just invite you to stick your hand up so I can see you and pray for you. some of us that we've gotten away from the heart of worship. We've gotten away from the heart of our Father. We've stepped away from the way of God. And it may be time that we recommit, that we rededicate. If that's you, I want to see your hand, please. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Father. Put your hands down. Yes, Jesus. Father, we just come to you and I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the purity of this moment. Father, this may be the first time that some of these people have seen your face. What a glorious thing that is. Father, I thank you for the people that gave their lives to you today. Father, that with this message that you've given them the weapon of praise, that they would begin to walk their life out in salvation, their new life, their resurrected life, fighting battles properly. Father, for all the hands all over to rededicate, to recommit, to get back to the heart of worship, to get back to your heart, to get back to your face. Lord, that you would touch them in a way that they've never been touched. Father, I just thank you so much for your beauty this morning. The raw, pure beauty of God. Father, that it doesn't take a fancy preacher with fancy words, but that it truly is the heart of worship. And that when we present pure worship, that you give us a weapon of praise. And Father, I just thank you that we've moved and we've shifted from being powerless to walking in power. And I just give you all honor and glory for that, everything you do. In Jesus' name.